he was French. I'd always been in love with French things when I was a kid. He was like European. He seemed really like confident. He seemed really, he was like in tech. He seemed really smart. And right away he, he did the love bombing. But back then I didn't know what love bomb was. Hey besties, and welcome to our cozy corner of the podcasting world. It's time for another episode of Share Latte Podcast. Here, extraordinary women gather like friends at a coffee shop sipping on life's challenges and sharing how they've triumphed over every obstacle. I'm your host, Min Sukri, your virtual coffee bestie. I'm here to brew up a heartwarming cup of empowerment, one inspiring story at a time. Imagine us nestled up in a cozy cafe surrounded by the rich aroma of freshly brewed coffee, all set for a journey that stirs your heart, awakens your mind, and gears you up to tackle any challenge that's thrown your way. In each episode of Share a Latte, remarkable women share their stories about how they've weathered life storms and emerged wiser, stronger, and more determined. These stories are like a warm embrace for your soul, reminding you that resilience and determination are the secret to success. So grab your favorite brew, get comfy, and get ready to soak in these amazing conversations. You'll discover your own power to turn these tough times into incredible strengths. The Share Latte podcast sprinkles hope, courage, and the belief that you can not only handle life, but thrive into your day. All right, besties, it's time to embrace those tales of triumphs and get ready for another episode of Share Latte. Latte besties, and welcome to our little corner of the podcasting world, Share Latte. I'm your host, Min Sukri. It's not about the beans and the brews. It's about the connections we foster over a shared cup. I'm here to explore the depths of human experience, to understand the intricacies of relationships, and to navigate the journey of self-discovery, all while savoring a piping hot cup of coffee. Let's take a moment to talk about our wonderful guest today. Hannah is a remarkable individual from Southern California. She shares her life with her loyal companion, Apricot, and her loving family. Beyond her role as a full-time content creator, mentor, and businesswoman, Hannah is actively expanding her horizons in the realms of acting and improv. But what truly sets Hannah apart is her ambition to create a safe and nurturing community for women to flourish and embrace their fullest self-expression. Her journey is one of resilience and empowerment, and I can't wait for you to hear her inspiring story. So grab your favorite coffee mug, settle in, and let's embark on a caffeinated journey together. With Hannah's remarkable journey, the warmth of your coffee cup, Share Latte promises to be a blend of inspiration and comfort that you won't want to miss. So Hannah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then maybe dive into your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. Whenever people ask me to tell me about myself, I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I am a content creator full-time. I am a mentor. I'm just passionate about offering, sharing my healing experience and offering insights because a lot of people are like, I never thought of it that way or just offering a different perspective. And I think it helps when, especially if you've, if you've come out of a toxic relationship um, and if your ex tends to run on the higher narcissistic scale, you're gaslighting yourself a lot because you're like, wait, am I crazy? Like nobody else saw, or like you've isolated, you've been isolated from friends and family because that's one of the things that your toxic exes do. And so it's helpful, I think, to just be like, you're not alone. (laughs) You're not crazy. And one of the biggest things for me was like, I felt stupid after I left. Oh, um, 
like right? nail on hammer. Yeah, totally. I'm right there with you. Yeah, go on. <laughs> How could I have stayed this long? And there's like a lot of self abuse that happens. And so I guess I'm just really passionate about sharing that so that people, people don't feel alone because I remember what it's like. It's like a very dark place of feeling like nobody in the whole world will understand like what I'm going through. Nobody could ever. And friends, they offered support, but they weren't in it. And so it's like, they would offer maybe like condolences or they would say things like, oh, I'm sorry. You just got to get over it. Like they didn't understand the depth and it made me feel more alone sometimes. Or sometimes they would say, why didn't you say anything sooner? Things that just, maybe they didn't know how to support, but it just made me feel more alone. It wasn't until I connected with someone who also had like a narcissist in their life that I was like, okay, I'm not crazy. This is more common than I thought. There's other people out there who have experienced the same thing. So yeah, that's it, I guess. (laughs) It's really amazing when you go through similar events and traumas in your life, how deep the connection runs. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened? Because you were with him for two years? It was like five years. <laughs> now when I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> why did I stay so long? I think it it just, yeah, it was five years. And sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> I love it. This is when you know the conversation is good because you've forgotten what the question is. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, okay, so you were guys were together for five years. Like, how did you meet? Mm, yeah. So I had been a serial relationship hopper my whole life. Oh, and, me know, too. Like the childhood yeah. trauma does that. Like you always, yes. and I didn't realize that I was a serial, serial relationship hopper in my head. I was like, it's been a month since my last relationship. That's long enough. I can move on. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> So I remember before I met him, my sister and I were talking about how this was it. I'd, I'd gotten divorced like a couple years prior. There had been people in between the divorce and my toxic ex. And I was in a situationship. And the situationship made just brought out all the, the addictive personality, the why aren't they texting me, the checking my phone and and he was really hot. Like he was like maybe the hottest guy that I had ever been with. So it brought up all my insecurities and I didn't know anything about childhood trauma. Like I, I wasn't aware. I was maybe 23 or 24 at the time. And I remember the situation should just had me like my head spinning. And the guy wasn't even bad. He didn't do anything. It was just all me. And eventually I was like, I, I'm done with this. I'm going to move on. And that was when I decided to go on like a dating app. And that's when my toxic ex like slid into my DM. DM. On the, yeah. I think it was called okay. Cupid back then. <laughs> oh, there's still, there's that. It still exists. It still exists. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have been on okay that's what it was. It's okay. Cupid. And he came in and I remember telling him like, I'm in a situation ship right now. So I don't want to start anything with you. And he was like, okay. And then a month later when I was like, fuck this situation ship, that's when he slid back in my DMS. And that day I was like, so sad. I was like, fine, I'll go. Which should, should have been a warning signal to me that like when you're in that low of a place and you're going out with someone, maybe there's a an energetic match there. <laughs> but yeah, and then after that, it was history. He was he was French. I'd always been in love with French things when I was a kid. He was like European. He seemed really like confident. He seemed really he was like in tech. He seemed really smart. And right away, he he did the love bombing. But back then, I didn't know what love yeah. bombing was. So yeah. I just thought, oh, he must really like me. And he sees something in me that I don't see in myself. 
And I think after two weeks, he said in French, like, je crois que je t'aime, which means I think I love you. And back then you're 24, you've gone through a divorce, you've had the shitty childhood, you're like, ah! You know? Yeah, the yeah. giddy girl inside you is, oh my God. Yeah, yeah literally, yeah. I think the second night or third night we met, he was like, I, you're the one I've been looking for my whole life. And I felt because oh. you're young and you're of like, course. you have all this trauma, you haven't healed. And, and it's just like, it was just like a perfect match. And something in him probably like that predator and the narcissist like saw that oh this can be my supply one of the things he would always tell me because I'd always ask him my self-esteem was so low I'm like why do you love me like his behavior didn't match because of narcissistic toxic behaviors like you don't act like somebody who loves me you're very selfish you're very why are you with me and the one thing he would always say is because you have a really big heart so it's not that narcissists can't see the good in you it's like they use that yeah but that know the good in you that kept me going because I'm like if he sees the good heart in me that must mean there's something in him that's also a good heart and I don't know even to this day a lot's happened I've forgiven him and there's a whole story about what happened after I forgive him which is so interesting but yeah that's pretty much the five years is on and off on and off it was really bad my health got drained. I have pictures of it on my TikTok. I just, you can see my, the light in my eyes were gone. I wasn't there. I wasn't, I I started to really isolate from friends and family. He never explicitly said I couldn't hang out with them, but he would never come to family gatherings. He would never want to mm. hang out with friend gatherings. Yeah. And then yeah. it was like, if I wanted to go see a friend, he'd always do this thing where he's like, oh, I thought we were going to hang out this weekend. Okay, fine. Like that thing where it's like, it's not a no. There's so many, like, honestly, I'm getting anxiety hearing this because these are all things that I dealt with in my previous marriage where, yeah, I would go out with friends and I would hear the same thing. I thought we were going to hang out or you told me that we were going to do this together. And it was never, it was, yeah. So these are these little tidbits. (laughs) I clearly still have some healing to do. So you guys were together for five years. The love bombing started super early. And for those who don't know, love bombing is still a very new, for most of us, it's still a very new term. I didn't learn about this. I won't lie to you guys. I didn't learn about love bombing until I got on TikTok. And I was like, wait a second, what is everybody talking about? What is love bombing? <laughs> and then you get d- deep into it. And you're like, oh my God, that's what that is. That's what that was. So you were together for five years and love bombing started early. But at what point during the five years were you saying to yourself, this can't be right because that because I'm not sure about you, but for me, when I was at the beginning of my narcissistic relationship, I was like, isn't this how it's supposed to be? Like, isn't this it? This is a relationship, right? Like it's, this is a quote unquote healthy relationship. I'm laughing about it because I think it's funny what I thought at that point in my life. But like in your head, you literally have convinced yourself that this is how life is supposed to be with somebody else. So yeah. when did that change for you? And was it a big event or was it like a gradual, oh my God, this is not right. Yeah. So this is where I think intuition plays a lot of a big factor. And I think when you have a lot of trauma, you haven't worked through your intuition is pretty much dormant and you can't, it's, it's a lot of times it's like, you're not sure what's true for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you've usually had to dissociate for so long that like you're not in your body you're not aware but I think it was about a month or two in when I realized like maybe something was off but then again I I was already gaslighting myself so him gaslight is like nothing I think it was like 
the first weird thing was like we went to a friend gathering and all of a sudden he was like really quiet the whole time he wasn't talking he was just like really it was weird and I was just surprised because I'd never been with a guy who was like that right like he Mm -hmm. just like silent and I and me with my codependency which is the perfect match for his narcissism I'm like what am I like what can I do with what am I like why is he acting this way and trying to that was a little weird. We had a little first fight then. That was like only a month or so in, I think, or maybe six months. The timeline's all messed up. The one time where I really knew something was off is we went to the 626 night market. It's with a bunch of Asian food, right? And we were standing in line to get this. Back then there were like these light bulb boba drinks. It was like new, fresh. It was like mm-hmm. nobody had seen them. They had little sparkly lights inside and they just were like amazing, right? So we stood in line to get that. And I was there with my siblings and him. And at the end of the line, I, we came back to a tent and there was a little kid sitting there and he looked upset and he was like talking to his grandma and he like pointed at my light bulb thing. And I was like, I was like, do you want this? I'm like, why is he upset? Cause I think w- they were sold out too. And so the kid was like, yeah. And so I asked the grandma, can I give it to him? To me, I'm like, it's not, the little kid's going to enjoy it more than I, I'm a fucking adult. I gave it to him and then he was really happy. Then my ex came back and he threw a giant fit and was like, how dare you give it to him? Like you gave it to this asshole kid. And he was like raising his voice in, in the tent. And I felt so embarrassed because I thought he'd be like, oh, that's so cute. Like you give it to the kid. Like I was thinking like, that's cute of you, but it was the opposite. He was like, so pissed. He was like, we stood in line for that. We can't get that back. That was a lot. And he just went off on me. And that's, we just ended up leaving. Cause I was like, so humiliated. Cause there's everybody was staring at us. He was like yelling. Aww. And I just felt, did I do something wrong? I didn't think I did anything wrong. And he was like, you only did that so you could look good to other people. And I was like, and I really started questioning myself being like, is that why I did it? I think that was a moment I knew maybe, and I broke up with him, right? That's, but then we kept getting back together because I kept going back and I kept going back. That was within the first year. So it was like, I knew then. But there was this part of me that kept going, well, maybe I'm just, I would gaslight and be like, maybe I'm just overthinking it. Maybe he, maybe it's not that bad. And it was like, we'd break up like on and off, on and off for five years. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. Let's go back for a second. Cause at the beginning you had mentioned, like you had just gotten out of a divorce and you had, you had met him and just guys like in the show notes, I'm going to put links to the story that Hannah tells on TikTok. You should really go back and watch it because you will see all the levels of gaslighting that happened, which well, we can't get completely into in this episode, but you had been, you, when we had talked, you had said that the man before your narcissistic boyfriend was a, like a good guy from what, like he was, he would be somebody that you would be looking at now being like, he's husband material and you passed on him. Mm. Oh, that's my ex-husband. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there was a guy in between the ex-husband and the narcissist. He was okay. not husband material, but my ex-husband, husband, yeah, yes. he was, I like, I didn't know what I had back then because I was younger and I could only see the flaws and mm. I was playing out all my childhood trauma and he was young. He wasn't, he's an Aries man. So emotionally very fiery and energy patterns, we call it aggressive pattern where they're not really maybe like good about talking about inner feelings. They're more yeah. like very blunt, just facts, straight facts. And I'm yeah, a very Aries girl. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right? And I'm like very emotional. Let's have a heart to heart. And it's it just- Yeah, we don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my thing. I don't like it. 
exactly what I'm talking about. So there was that. But looking back now, I'm like, oh, he was such a great guy. He was a, a great guy. But because of all of my unhealed wounds and because of my immaturity and my youth and also him, it's not just all me. No we part. just clashed. And I ended up stepping out of the marriage. Like I, and that's what kind of resulted in the divorce. But yeah. And then it was almost like subconsciously I was punishing myself for stepping out of the marriage that I kept staying with this because it was almost like I messed up in the past. So if I can somehow make this work, if I can save it. And my narcissist ex even would say, he's like, we're trying to force this. He's like, why are we staying together? We're trying to force it. So mm-hmm. we'd break up, but then we'd call each other and then get back together. It was just like, yeah, it was just. There's comfort in it because it's what you know. Like you see it often in TV shows or whatever, where yeah. the woman will literally say, it's the beast I know. I might as well go with the one that I know. Absolutely. Do you feel that your self-worth after and before getting into enduring even, you said it was, it, you're, we're saying it was, pro, it was really low when you met him. And then you said it would drop lower during that time. Mm-hmm. How can you describe to us, like, how low was it? at the worst point when you were like, this is it, I'm not doing anymore. Like, and how difficult was it to crawl yourself out of that dark hole? Because I could only imagine what that dark hole was probably like. And I don't think I, we can talk about what I did, my dark hole, but I don't think any woman's dark hole is the same. Like, Mm. I I think you go through similar traumas, but I think that, or similar situations, but I think where your dark hole lies, I don't think it, it, it's a, the same experience mm. for anybody because we're yeah. all different people. So how dark was it? And what did it take for you to crawl your, because I'm assuming it was a crawl yourself out of that. Yeah. And, and looking back now, I'm still finding a lot of compassion for my past self. There's still I'm working through the layers. I'm a work in progress. <clears throat> the darkest hole is I think we had a fight where I decided to take his phone away and grab it away from him for some reason, because I, I don't know, we had crazy fights, but he somehow, got, he was, he did martial arts when he was younger. So he somehow caught me, grabbed the phone, like kind of drop kicked me. So I was on the floor looking up at him and then he spit on my face. And that was a moment where I was like, oh, I don't think he loves me at all. I don't think he could have even, I don't think he even cares for me because he spit on my face. And I don't know if that was before or after a little bit, I had a panic attack and nervous breakdown at 2 a.m. in the morning when we were living together and I needed someone to drive me to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And he was, do we have to? Like, that was like the response. Do I have, are you that sick? And I was like, dude, I'm like, I feel like I'm dying. Yeah. Um, so that spinning thing. And I remember, cause I was working with my ex-husband at the time and I told my ex-husband and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And I was like in shock probably for a month. Mm -hmm. But I still stayed with him two more years after that. And I remember I kept thinking to myself, why am I staying with him? And one of the thoughts, narcissists are really good at picking up on your self-worth issues and your limiting beliefs about yourself. Yes. Yes. One of the things he would say to me that really resonated with me back then and how I felt is he's no other man would take you. Like you'll never find anyone who would deal with your shit. And I was yeah, I already felt like I'm so too much. I'm, mm-hmm. I had parents who are emotionally un- unavailable and then I'm an emotional person. So it's like, I'm too much. I have this, I'm like fat or like I all, I'm not pretty enough. I'm ugly or what are all of these thoughts? And he would constantly say, no other man would take this from you. And that was like the lowest of the low where I stayed with him. Cause I really felt like 
one, I was so deathly afraid of being by myself for the rest of my life. I was like, yeah. what if I never find anyone? At least I yeah. have this beast. Like you said, yeah. at, at least, you know. in public, yeah, at least in public, it looks like I'm, we're happy or whatever. So I was so afraid of being alone. And then I was so scared of, I'd already invested five years. I've already mm. invested so much. And it was even after the spinning, I still stayed two years. Every time we went on vacation, it was the worst thing ever. And I think the final breaking point was when I started to discover hiking. All of these spiritual books started popping up for me to read, like the universe sending in my way. Like, hey, let's wake yeah. up. Let's get you out of here. So I was starting to like listen to a lot of spiritual things and starting to awaken more, but I was still with him. So I moved out and we still stayed together. And this was right before COVID. So I told myself, I just need my own place, but we're going to be together. It's like a step-by-step thing. One day at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then he'd stay at my place all the time. And I was like, that's just all it is. We just don't get along when we're living together. It's fine when we're not living together. Yeah, it's totally fine when we're not together. <laughs> as long as we're not together, it works. Oh, I love this. (laughs) The final breaking point. It's crazy how it's not even a big thing, but you think the spitting thing would be. It's not a big thing. thing. Yeah. You would think. Okay. Ladies, it's really like when you get that deep, it's really, it's not a big thing. It's never him forgetting your anniversary. It's Mm -mm. never him buying you a crappy birthday present or Christmas Mm -hmm. present. It's never him forgetting to wash it like, or him. Yeah forgetting to make dinner reservations. It's it literally, I don't know about you and, but for me, it was, he forgot to wash a mug and oh, I was done. <laughs> no, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> oh, exactly. I wanted to go hiking. It's exactly that. Something that you're like, that's not a big deal. Right. I wanted to go hiking and he wanted to come. He insisted. And I was like, God damn it. I was like, fine, I'll wait for you, but please be quick because I know you take a long time to shower. And I really just want to get out there for my mental health. So okay, I'll be quick. I'm waiting there. It's been an hour. He's in the shower. This is not the first time, obviously. Of and course not. Yeah. Sitting there looking at the floor and I like, like my mind broke, like <laughs> my mind cracked. And I was like, just that's it. Like, that's it. And I remember when he came out of the shower and I couldn't look at him and I just said, get, go home, please take your stuff. Like we're done. Like, that's it. Like, and he thought once again, here we are again, doing yes. another breakup. But I was like, no, that's it. That's literally it. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> he broke me. <laughs> So yeah, long, long story, but that was a moment. So for you, you said it was the mug. It was a and, mug in, a, in the sink. And that was the moment you were just like, that. okay, that's it. I was like, I'm done. Yeah. And I even, I, I can, re- if he listens to this, it's going to be funny because I can recall the day I saw that mug and I was like, that's it. I'm out three days after that. It was his birthday. I'm, <clears throat> this is not going to sound good, but um, you know what? I'm human and it happens. Yeah. It was his birthday and we were supposed to be planning on having a family. And I was still on birth control at the time. And I had made a doctor's appointment in the next couple of weeks to have my IUD removed. And I decided on his birthday. And this wasn't that I decided on his birthday. It literally was like blurted out that I was like, I'm not having any more babies. I'm mm-hmm. done. <laughs> And I was in that moment, I remember thinking, break up with me. So I'll have to break up with you. Yeah. 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 And I did. But yeah, it's the small stuff. You don't like, it's not the big things. It's not when he misses Christmas or doesn't spend time with your family. Those aren't the things that break it. So how much, and I'm asking this because at the beginning you said like you were a serial relationship monogamous. How much did you tie yourself worth? into being with a man 
Mm. <laughs> What's crazy, my mom would actually tell me that <gasps> your entire life, uh, this is part of her generation and what she grew up with. Yes. She's, if you don't meet the right man in life, like you need to read them, meet the right man. So your life can either be good or bad. She's I've seen so many of my aunts marry the wrong man and their whole lives have been ruined. They're, they go cheat. They have affairs. And then I've seen my aunties who've married the right man and they have. And so she, I think, married a really great faithful man like my dad. And she held on for dear life. And as a kid, you don't see their <laughs> the issues in their relationship. That's how it's supposed to be. And then it, what you're saying reminds me of, did it feel like you were both in a stalemate where you're just waiting for the other person to pull the plug? Like on the relationship, like you, you break up with me. I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. Is that how? Again, if he hears this, (laughs) I don't think he would have had the balls to break up with me. Mm. In truth, I think he was hanging on for dear life. Mm. And I was, and the minute that I realized and this is going to be a, a, a podcast episode in and of itself. But the minute I realized and it, it that I was worth so much more was when somebody had told me that I was and and a very much of an outsider looking in who yeah. said, who literally said to me, I don't think this marriage will last. And I think that when you quote unquote make it or when you believe you're going to make it, that's mm-hmm. not the man you stand next to. Mm. And so when she told me that I, yeah, I took a complete step back and I was like, okay, let's yeah. But that was it for me. Like very much. I'm so glad. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. Like I said, he wouldn't, I don't think he would have had the ball (laughs) Mm -hmm. to break up with me. I had to find the inner strength to do it. He'd already been divorced once. Mm. He didn't want to be divorced again. Like he even told me when I was going through, when I said, I'm leaving you. And he was like, I'm never going to grant you a divorce. In which case I laugh because it's funny. (laughs) Yeah. So he wouldn't have had the balls too. But was it, did you guys have the target (laughs) where you were like, somebody needs to let go. (laughs) Yeah. I think we broke up so many times and I it was weird. If I even now I don't know, but it felt like I didn't want to be the one to do it. Like I I was scared because it's like, what if I made the wrong choice? What if this is the man for me? And during COVID, we still t- stayed together. And of course, the whole world's on fire. We're all scared out of our freaking minds. We hung out the whole time during COVID. And I remember even at one point thinking, this is the man I'm going to marry. That's how deluded I had become that I was like, this is the guy. This Isn't is the it guy. amazing what a narcissist <laughs> can really do? <laughs> yeah. To you being like, this is totally the guy I'm going to marry. This is the man I spend the rest of my life with. Yeah, mm-hmm. you. it's a really, it's a big delusion. Mm-hmm. So the pandemic rolled out. Yeah. You guys were in it together. Mm. Is that when he, was it during the pandemic he proposed? Oh, no. He didn't actually propose, but it was funny because we broke up again as after I moved out and then he, we were making up and finally having a little heart to heart and he brought out the ring to show because I one of my biggest things was like you never propose or you never wanted to get married you can't commit it's been five years that's all I cared about right is oh yeah get the ring I needed to yeah. be like prove my worth yes um, <clears throat> that I'm marriage materials the societal yeah. programming it's so it, it's amazing if okay so not to say that this doesn't run in other cultures but I will say like in the Asian culture this is a very big deal yeah. the ring the man the life Yes. That's literally what we are been bred for. And it's mm-hmm. literally ingrained in our, as young women, as young girls, this is why we tie so much of our worth mm-hmm. as Asian women 
to men is because even (laughs) growing up, I saw my mother marry a man who I wish she had never married, but she, I didn't notice how much of her self-worth was tied into that. And by the time I recognized that her self-worth isn't tied to a man or my self-worth isn't tied to a man, not that it was too late, but it was a much later on in life. It wasn't in my, it wasn't in my twenties. It wasn't in my teens. So you go after these men or these boys who are no good for you. So the ring, the life, literally that's what we're bred for. So, so you pulled out a ring. Yeah, I think going back to the Asian community, there was, there's always like these, we call them elders, even though we're adults, the (laughs) elder Asian men are always like, when are you going to get married? It's almost if you're not married, it's like you're defective. And the older you get, the more defective you become. Yes. (laughs) The last time I went home, I am, I'm 40 this year. The last time I was home, I was 37. And the first thing that flew out of my grandmother's mouth was, why are you not married? And I remember thinking, how do I answer this in a way that's going to appease you? Yeah. But not change me as a person, knowing that I don't need a man to get to X, Y, and Z or give you the life that you deserve. Like those are, those things don't matter anymore, Yeah, but it's very much ingrained in them. They don't understand anything else. No. And it's, it's definitely something that I think it's an Asian culture, but also growing up in the U S like Disney movies, like all the rom-coms also lies. Yeah, (laughs) literally. And, um, and for me recently, I've just come to terms with the fact that I'm bi too, but that was never something that could ever be. You marry a man a lot. And there's religious culture. Yeah. religious programming even now I haven't really told my parents like "Eh, just yeah why do you need to know what you know what I'm interested in but it's just a lot of programming I think of so much shame around um if you're not married or like divorced it was like huge shame (laughs) oh my god you're divorced yeah under 30 I couldn't imagine what that would have been like to tell your parents like I I could not imagine what that would have been like to tell your mom and that's like divorce doesn't happen. You suffer through it. Yeah. Like well, my aunts back home, polygamy is a big thing in the Asian culture. Well, do polygamy, but in Thailand, it's very big. And, and my uncles will bring home wife number two and they have to turn a blind eye. Whereas in my head, I was like, a man brings home wife number two. There's no wife number one. <laughs> I don't know what oh to tell God. you. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that was a, a thing in Thailand. Wow. Yeah. The king has like a hundred and like 42 wives or something. Like he's, <laughs> how does he keep up? <laughs> My question is, how do you please them all? That can't be a healthy home. <laughs> oh my God. But yes, yeah. yes, you're right. Yeah. The, even for you, when you told your uh, mother about the divorce, how was like, how was your grandmother? Oh, how- she hated my ex-husband. So she was ecstatic. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So she was the, support- there were a few, there are a few times in my life that my mother agrees with my choices. When I got to marry, when I married him, she didn't agree. <laughs> when I got divorced, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she, she knew right away. And again, hold on though, but going back to the Asian culture and how much this is ingrained to you. I remember when I told her about my engagement ring to my husband and because it wasn't a full carrot, my mother was upset. Mm. And to me, I was like, those aren't things that like matter to me, but I don't think I understood what she meant by it until after I got divorced. And it really tied into how's he going to provide for you if he can't give you what you deserve now. Mm. 
mm-hmm. which was to her the equivalent of a one carat rather than a 0.8 carat, which mm-hmm. really at the end of the day, ladies, nobody's going to notice that carat, that 0.2 <laughs> difference. <laughs> like I'm going to tell you, <laughs> but that was very much tied in to my daughter is worth more. But yes, so I think, so that didn't help. And then in combination with multiple other things that he did, that didn't help as well. But that was right. one of her biggest pain points with him was that if my daughter does, if you thought that my daughter deserved it, I wouldn't have to be fighting for you to give it to her, basically. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's not about the care, but I understand her principle, I think, of like, how are you going to take care of my daughter? That makes a lot of sense. That's, yeah. I think, another reason I stayed with him too, because I'm like, he's a tech bro, makes a lot of money. It was like that. Okay. Same- but real talk here for a second. He made a lot of money, but did you see any of that money? Oh, that's the funny thing. I spent more money on him. <laughs> And ding, ding, ding. Said, he he was so cheap. He was so stingy, but seriously, right? I'm like, I helped him with so many things. It was, it's just, it's crazy. But yeah, going back to the, the proposals after we broke up, I think it was like two years after. So it was this year, actually the beginning of this year, I went back to Vegas with my friends for um, her bachelorette and Vegas had always been this great place for me to get away. It always had great memories, except Mm -hmm. the last time I went there was with him. And of course it wasn't fun. Nothing with him was ever fun. It was always like a drag. And at that point, there was a random lady who walked up to us and was like, she looked at me. She's you're very beautiful. I hope he tells you that. And then she walked away and we were like, that's so sweet. I know. At the time I was like, that's (laughs) random. Cause I was so Lulu, right? I was so gaslighting. we're fine. I don't know why she saw, but she obviously saw something. Yeah. Um, so my best friends and I went to Vegas and then I got to take my power back from all those bad memories. We hit up like all the same places that my ex and I had gone to. And I remember the whole time thinking in my head, I just like, I'm like really spiritual. Right. So I was thinking like just forgiving him, seeing a lot of my shadow side and him, a lot of my like, you know, codependency, all that stuff that played out. And I just started to feel forgiveness for him. Cause I see like narcissists are usually, they have their own trauma too. That's why they're narcissists. Yeah. yeah. So I started to see, oh, he's probably living in a trauma response his entire life. He looks yeah. at the world as like dog eat dog. Like he looks at the world as you need to survive. Like you need to if you don't get one over on people, they'll get one. Like, it's like that mentality. And I just started to feel like enormous compassion for him. So I come back home and he texted me from a new number because I blocked him on everything. And I decided to go to dinner with him. Oh man, that is like next level change his number to be able to text you no he has a lot of work no I'm sure he got another one because he's a tech bro I'm sure he has his original number and he got (laughs) another one oh god but anyway it was a crazy dinner that story you can see on tiktok but at the end of the dinner he's asking me to give you and then he brings out the ring he had shown me a couple years before and I was really broke so I was very tempted to be like I take this ring and pawn this shit my best friend was like, that's back pay. That's the least he could do after everything he put you through. But I just didn't want anything else. I didn't want him to have anything, any hold yeah. over. See, she took the ring. So I just, I gave it back and I said, we're done. But that was like a good closure for me, I think, because I didn't want to have this. I still sometimes, I, I talk about the story because I feel like people need to know what it's like. But in my heart, I do feel like, I'm like, hopefully he can get some help. I don't know that there is a cure for narcissists. I know that they say there is no cure, but in my head, I'm like, I hope he 
finds ha whatever happiness he can within his construct of his world. I just hope he's happy. I hope he's doing well. I don't wish him harm, but I could also still be in Delulu right now. But I really, yeah, I feel like I have forgiven him. I was going to say, this sounds very much like you've healed a lot from this. So let's mm -hmm. talk for a second about how you've really healed a lot from it. Because I'm going to tell you, ladies, like I'm still healing daily on, on immigrants. And you probably have heard it, but <laughs> what I have divulged in this episode. <laughs> but how have you healed from it? So when did you guys break up? Two years ago now? Yeah, it was right at right when I think right after COVID, like finally came was it right before Yeah, it was right after COVID, I think 2021 January, I decided to that was the moment my mind broke and I had went through this giant spiritual awakening. And I think the spiritual awakening process helped me a lot to yeah. see things from a higher perspective, but also not to gaslight and bypass myself like I learned mm -hmm. that, um, one of the things I did a lot as a child to dissociate was I would go up in the mental and I would live in my mind and I was cut off from my body. Yeah. So I would just try to live with logic here. And cause it wasn't safe to feel when you're no. a kid and you're being physically abused, you just numb your body. That's the safest way to go. But I met a trauma-informed coach and we started working through the layers. I started learning how to come back home to my body, into my body. It was a process because I remember I couldn't even close my eyes in the beginning to meditate for 30 seconds because I felt like my eyes would just be like, Shh. it was just like, mm -hmm. I just was so uh, anxious all the time and felt yeah. so like you're living in a trauma response. So I started coming back home more to myself, getting more in touch with my body. It's been a process. I say it's a daily just nurturing of yourself. But for me, the key thing has been learning how to stay in my body mm -hmm. and not like forcing myself. Cause sometimes if you leave, there's a reason, there's a very good reason you're leaving your body, but it's just coming back and through, I've been doing energy work, somatic work, mental mind work, emotional work, healing. I'm just like obsessed with studying. So all, a lot of mind studying, but letting that digest and integrate into my body. So a lot of things have been healing out. And I started to understand how without excusing his shitty behavior, I started to be able to understand my part in the story of, okay, so I had all of these hooks, the codependent hooks that made me a perfect match for his hooks of, and I started to like process that. I started to forgive myself. Um, and hold my inner child through that and not blame mm -hmm. the inner child work was the huge, the biggest thing. Um, even yeah. now daily yeah. holding space for the inner child, because it's usually the inner child that's playing out those scenarios, right? We're trying to Absolutely. redo our trauma with yeah. another person in an adult relationship. So he represented a lot of my mom's emotional unavailability and yeah. he represented, yeah, a lot of my dad's emotional unavailability. unavailability yeah. And, but I didn't know at the time, you know, and back now, I think I was, that's why I was able to forgive him. It's okay. He's still probably a shitty person, but it's, it's kind of like, I got like that resentment was killing me. It was like, yeah. eating, it was too heavy. And so it, it wasn't even about forgiving him for him. It just became, I'm tired of holding this. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And not in a mean way, just, I, I don't want to carry this load anymore. It's like yeah. literally eating away at my body, my soul. Um, but it was not, it wasn't like a huge spiritual awakening and, oh, I'm good. It's like a, it was like a daily it's little picks. Yeah. 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 You chip away at the ginormous wall that's standing in front of you. And one day you notice that there are bricks behind you rather than a wall. Yeah. That's such a great, yeah. Metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Did you 
because I'm sure people are going to ask, did you forgive yourself first before you forgave him? And how difficult was it to forgive him? Because that was a lot you guys went through. You went through. Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest part for me right now is that like, when I think about my relationship, I think I'm still upset with him because he put me through what I went through, but I'm so angry with myself for allowing myself to be in that position with him for as long as it was. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I think I would love to hear more about your childhood background more, but I think from what we've spoken, we've had similarities on Mm -hmm. having a very traumatic childhood. And I think when you have a traumatic childhood, you tend to run into the self-abuse because it's what you're programmed with from your parents or even generationally, it's just part of the energy, right? Mm -hmm. I think just bringing awareness constantly around it has been helpful to me. And and then hiring coaches who understood that Mm -hmm. and would constantly remind me, like, you're being really hard on yourself. Like, you can you have more compassion? Can you have more grace? And recently there is this man called Peter Cummings who does work on like attachment theory and healing attachment trauma, because most of this is all attachment trauma. Yes. One of the things he was saying is as a facilitator, to be able to say, if I went through what you went through, I would be in the exact same place as you. Mm -hmm. And in a way, while working with clients, it also helped me heal too. Um, my energy teacher talks about when we are a fac- like facilitate healing, some part of us, a fragment that like gets fragmented, it also heals too. So it's like a two-way yeah. street. So I've worked with a lot of clients over the two years too. So seeing them and then it was like a double healing constantly and reminding my own clients who are really hard on themselves. Like you're being really hard on yourself. And it was like a mirror. Oh shit. I'm being hard on myself. And just, yeah, yeah, constantly um, talking to that inner child of it's not your fault. There's one thing to take responsibility as an adult, but there's also, it's like a multi-dimensional way of you get to tell your inner child. It's not your fault at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It shouldn't have happened to you. That should, that person shouldn't have done that to you. The way they behaved was completely wrong. And, and just like holding space for that without even the part of taking responsibility. I think it's, it's easy to say, but it just happens in little layers of releasing that, like that self-abusive cycle, right. Of where you like, how could I stay? Why did I stay so long? How could I be so stupid? Why didn't I leave? It's that self-critical voice. And at a certain point, I think your adult self gets to say, no, you yes. don't get to say that to my mm-hmm. inner child. And you just constantly have to come back. It's re- repetition. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of crying for two years, like oceans of tears. <laughs> right? I, 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 I'm glad that you brought up. Um, and this again goes back to my childhood, but I remember hearing so many times, like, I don't want to see the tears or stop the crying. Um, mm. So I'm glad that you said it was two years of crying and a lot of like ocean tears, like the big puddles, the disgusting Kleenexes by the bedside or even on the bed floor. I'm glad you brought that up because that again, if you're, if throughout your childhood, you were told not to cry or don't show any emotion or any of that stuff, like you allowed yourself to cry through that pain of, so obviously you've done the work and now you're working with clients. Tell the people who are listening a little bit about your program. There's got, I'm telling you, ladies, if you are out there and you have just left a narcissistic relationship and you're still in the healing, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I'm seeing it now with 
with Anna and her beautiful smile. So obviously this took a long time. What do you take your clients through? How long is the program and what happens throughout the program? And then what comes at, what's the end kind of result? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. So I, I call it my move on mentorship, right? Um, <gasps> love, love. <laughs> Go on. Right. And this is, this has to be a relationship. It could be situationships because if you have childhood trauma, you get stuck in limerence a lot with situationship. And um, really I'm telling you, childhood trauma allows you to be comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> situationships. Yeah. With, with being an option, right? And not yes. being chosen. Yes. Um, it happens so much. Right now, the re- I have it as a three month program. And the reason for that is because I myself, when I came out of a relationship was like, I don't, I can't commit to shit. I don't want to commit to anything. Like that's too long. Not that you're going to be taken through a transformation in three months. Oh, you're going to be a completely new person. I'm not going to be unrealistic, but there's so much that can happen within that three months. And it's very intuitive based on what you're wanting and needing in that moment. It's customized. So I but have a little bit of background in shamanic uh, practitioner work and energy work. So I bring some of that into it, my intuitiveness, but I also have coaching certifications that I bring into the practice. So it comes to one of the best things that worked for me when I was a client was like Voxer support, daily support. I needed someone to constantly, like, I just needed to process verbally what was going on here and get mm-hmm. it out of my head. I think self, self-expression self is a huge thing of healing. If you think about your, your childhood, like you shouldn't cry, right? Don't cry. I don't want to see the tears. That's just your natural body's natural reaction to regulating your nervous system. Mm-hmm. But you're told to suppress that how many times a day and then think about yep. all the times in the years. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. that, that's just crying, but all the times you wanted to say something or all the times you just wanted to express your emotions and how many times you were suppressed and how many times. Mm-hmm. So having a safe space to just literally say whatever it is that you think and feel without it being made to be wrong, without someone trying to fix it, without someone trying to give you a, a solution. It's just, that's mainly what I pr- help provide is like a safe space where you can process and then we can just explore what's coming up for you there's nothing wrong about feelings but so many times especially I think as little girls we're made to feel wrong about our Mm -hmm. feelings yeah we're we're made to feel like you shouldn't act that way you shouldn't feel that way and it's feelings are fucking feelings right yeah they're always valid there's not it's not right or wrong so I, I just take people through that my past clients have found that they feel a lot more self-love, unconditional self-love. They've learned to talk oh, to. That is key. That yeah. is key, ladies. So key. Because the, the minute you find self-love, it literally is, it's, that's the magic switch you're looking for because mm-hmm. it turns on your confidence, your self-worth, and then you start saying no to a lot of bullshit mm-hmm. quickly. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a, I, I call that a self-care system, right? Like. Yeah daily things that you do for yourself during the day, every day where you can set up a foundation where you're nurturing that self-love because it's Mm -hmm. not a one and done thing. It's a daily thing. And a lot of people with childhood trauma have never been shown how to daily. No, (laughs) it's like once in a while you get a hug. Like my mind is blown. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much what I help provide is just, it's customized to you. What's going on within you? Everybody's story is unique. Yes, we all have childhood trauma, but it's all unique. The way you've processed it, your genetic makeup, 
it's all unique. And it's just really about retraining yourself to love yourself. Cause like I said, like in Asian cultures, hugging physical touch for me, it was not a thing. You don't Yeah, my, yeah. Get See, I, I grew up with it being a thing because my mother wanted to break the generation mm, of not great. hugging your children. So she really yeah. hugged us. Yeah. So when I went back home and I didn't get hugged by my aunts, my uncles, or my grandma, it didn't make, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it until I was like much older. I was like, oh, this isn't a thing. You guys don't know what this is like. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm so glad. It sounds like your mom's done a lot of work to break a lot of things. She's, she's, yeah, she, I I will give her a lot of credit for that is that she's tried to break a lot of, of a lot of Asian stereotypes. And that's probably, I'm going to have you back on and we'll talk about things because there are some similarities as to how we grow grew up yeah but I will say yeah a, a little bit of that also was my mother because I and I will constitute this a little bit to her marrying a white man who didn't allow for some of those things in his mm-hmm. home which mm-hmm. then caused the childhood trauma because then I also didn't know it took me a very long time to accept the fact that I'm Asian <laughs> and I know this sounds weird same same but right you grow up in a white neighborhood, you go mm. to a white school, you have white friends, you assume that you're just white mm. and maybe dark skinned white. <laughs> listen, I get that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Literally that's, I ought to, and then by the time that I had hit my late twenties, I was like, oh crap, I'm not really white. And mm-hmm. I needed to embrace a different side of myself, but you, yeah. I so love that. We'll you have you back on. We'll yeah. talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Internalized racism is huge. Yeah. 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 <sighs> exactly. Thank you so much, Hannah. All of um, Hannah's resources will be in the show notes. Go check her out. This sounds like an amazing program. If you're going through the struggles and wanting to get over the hurdle or not wanting to run back to your ex because it's so comforting and you need the person who's on your side, it sounds like Hannah's going to be doing it. We'll see you next time, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank- Before we wrap up this episode, I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to our incredible guest, Hannah Skies. Thank you, Hannah, for sharing your incredible journey and inspiring us all with your resilience and ambition. Your story is a shining testament to the power of inner strength and healing from our traumas. To my latte besties, I hope you enjoyed this enriching conversation as much as I have. Remember, each episode of Share a Latte is like a freshly brewed cup of inspiration, and I can't wait to share more insightful stories and conversations with you in the future. Until then, keep brewing those ideas and savoring those moments. I'll catch you in the next episode. If today's episode added a touch of warmth and inspiration to your day, I'd love for you to hit that subscribe button. By doing so, you won't miss out on any future heartwarming journeys we'll embark on together. And hey, if you enjoyed our flavorful conversations and the embrace of this beautiful podcast, why not take a moment to leave a review? Your thoughts and your feedback mean the world to me, and it might even help others discover the magic of Share a Latte. So whether it's a few words or a heartfelt reflection, your review goes a long way in spreading the joy. Life is like a perfectly brewed cup of coffee, a blend of experiences that come together to create something truly remarkable. Just like every bean contributes to unique flavor, every cup in our cup of stories adds a depth of richness to our journey. Until next time, besties, remember you have the power to turn your trials into triumphs and your scars into stars. Keep believing yourself, keep chasing those dreams, and above all else, keep thriving. This is Min taking her last sip from the Share a Latte podcast, reminding you that life happens and coffee helps.